Uh, and then there's one final story completely unrelated to everything else. Even think, more? <laughs> yeah, but, but I think... Not it's another it. one? <laughs> it's Friday, December 2nd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I am Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and vegan croquette victim. With me uh, today is Gordon Derek, contributing editor Dutch News and top 2000 worst things of the Netherlands voter. <laughs> well, yeah, why did you say two and uh, all the O's in, in, in that particular way? So, uh, is there, are, you, are you superstitious about uh, this? <laughs> terrible thing that begins today yeah the the voting starts today um no uh, haven't yeah. you seen the viral tiktok video by kim kardashian ah no i haven't seen that no aha that's that's why you don't know what i was uh, referring uh-huh. to uh-huh. yeah yeah because uh, there is this this old song from 2005 a dutch song which i remember from my uh, from my from my youth uh, it's 18 years old and it's uh, suddenly become a hit on on tiktok yeah uh, all the people children they are they are uh, dancing on this on this song they are not even doing the proper dance i have to say um but one of them was kim kardashian so uh, yeah this this very obscure dutch uh, pop group uh, 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 called chips with an exclamation point instead of the i and a yeah because uh, that was kind of fashionable of at that time to, to put punctuation yeah, was, in the uh, middle of your name yeah yeah Exactly. Yeah, uh, we we live in a sort of par- parallel uh, parallel world where all of a sudden Kim Kardashian is dancing on this uh, long forgotten song uh, from eighteen years ago. Well, not really long forgotten. I st- I can still sing yeah, it's it. Long, long it's long forgotten dance to you, but yeah, I, I do actually remember it uh, being a big hit around about the time that um, yeah, around about the time that um, my, my children were born. Actually, so I, I was probably off work um, uh, with paternity <laughs> leave and being tortured by this thing. So yeah. Thousand One Arabian Nights, it was called. Yeah. We will. Yes. Uh, Dutch News has a nice article about that, so you, we will link to that in the liner notes. So you can. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, we, we don't. We don't have. We don't have enough money to actually play a clip, which is probably a blessing. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it really is a parallel universe <laughs> that that we have this this Chinese children's spy software. Yeah. Uh, playing Kim Kardashian dancing on this eighteen-year-old uh, Dutch pop. Dawson's da- kind um, of yeah, the Dutch soft techno. Yeah. It's quite amazing. Yeah, really strange. Yeah. Uh, but let's go to the, your real uh, job uh, job title, yeah. the uh, top two thousand uh, voter. Uh, <laughs> you are not going to vote, I reckon, or uh, I don't know. I think I did vote last year. Yeah, but I am. I do take a principal stance against the top two thousand and try and avoid it and uh, campaign relentlessly to to to, to, to have it abolished because uh, I think it's one of the most terrible things. Yeah, and for those who don't know what it is, can you yeah the, t- the top what- two thousand is basically a a, a a countdown chart that starts on uh, the, the, the on 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 the second Christmas Day Boxing Day um, and uh, ends at midnight on New Year's Eve, where basically they play um, uh, the the, the two thousand most popular songs of all time, and everyone votes for them in December on a website yeah. uh, run by the MPO, and it's a huge big uh, thing, and everyone sort of uh, sets their um, uh, sets alarms and, uh, and notifications to play their favourite songs that they voted for, so they can all all kind of huddle around the radio. Uh, it's kind of an old uh, Dutch tradition, but I, I just think it kind of encourages this terrible stagnation that you hear in 
in uh, on, on Dutch radio stations where nothing that's no music that's recorded after about 1998 ever gets airtime because of this top 3000 <laughs> where the, it's basically a kind of like, like like a boomer's chart I mean all the top songs of <laughs> songs that were uh, brought out in the 60s and the 70s very occasionally the 80s or the 90s um and uh, yeah, I think it's just this terrible sort of thing that should be abolished in favour of actually playing, listening to new music once in a while. There's a new radio station that was came out the 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 the, the other week. Um, I think it's called Radio Five, where they they made this big advertising campaign saying we're going to play loads of '80s and '90s music. Like that's what Dutch music really doesn't need. <laughs> Another radio station that plays you know, t- t- terrible anodyne '80s and '90s plays more Dire Straits. We need less Dire Straits. <laughs> And unfortunately, what yeah. you get is like people vote for twenty Coldplay songs in this top two thousand, and, uh, yeah. and things like yeah. "Russians" by Sting will be very high. It's one of the worst songs ever recorded <laughs> in the history of music. But of course, because of the invasion of Ukraine, lots of people will vote for this terrible thing now. Oh yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, also, um, uh, what they called. Uh, this lady who died yesterday or two days ago. Oh yeah, Fleetwood uh, Mac. Well, they were always big in the top two thousand anyway because they're exactly the demographic. The people who grew up with Fleetwood Mac are the exact target demographic for the top two thousand. Yeah, but but especially if if one of one a singer of a, or, or, or 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 a band member dies, then especially in December, then this this singer will always end up very high. In, in the top 2000. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it becomes kind of a rolling thing because people growing up, you know, people of the current generation, that they, they grew up listening to these songs in the top 2000. They associate them with the top 2000, so they vote for them again. So it just becomes an endless <laughs> cycle of perpetuation of, you know, of lukewarm 80s hits being played for a whole week after Christmas. It's terrible. Um do you remember this this uh, sort of social media thing where people called on each other to vote for the Pokemon song uh, ah. to be in the top two thousand? I and hadn't it, heard that. Yeah. It ended up quite high. I, yeah. I think somewhere in the in the four hundreds or something. So uh, yeah, it's uh, th- there is uh, a, a, you know a, some revolution uh, might be happening at one point possibly when uh, when when enough people are mobilized to to stop voting for all the um, cliche top two thousand songs and uh, we might get an interest list for once yeah um, but it will but still be topped uh, by Bohemian still... Rhapsody because it is every single year or very occasionally yeah, of very, very occasionally people do something novel and uh, they vote for uh, Hotel California instead but <laughs> top 2000 is is, is, is is that thing in the Netherlands uh, that, 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 that you can check out but you can never leave so it's an appropriate song to top the poll I think that's enough of my ranting about the top 2000 just abolish yes. the top 2000 no, no, I just I just want to mention one more fun right. fact and that is that more people vote for the top 2000 than all elections yeah. uh, except the Tweede Kamer uh, 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 elections. So just to let you know how popular it is, yeah. um, we have the provincial uh, elections coming up in March 2023 and less people will vote for that. Yeah. Um, even though it directly affects the Senate, then uh, people will vote for the top Did you think if I started a political to party to abolish the top 2000, it would get more votes at the provincial elections than um, the abolishing the top 2000 will not get you any votes. <laughs> Oh that, dear. that is a um, uh, or maybe you should talk to Dominic Cummings for what maybe he has a different view on this maybe yeah. he has some sort of niche we um, could devise uh, a strategy in this yes yeah yeah but I don't so think I uh, this is uh, this stands a chance unfortunately Damn. for you Gordon oh dear Oh well, um, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, now I kind of have to rant about vegan croquettes. I'm afraid you are. Um, yes. um, 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 I was. I. Uh, You've been to the zoo. I have never you? been. Yeah. I've been to the zoo in uh, this summer. It was the first time I went to a zoo. I had never been to a zoo. Um, so Blydorp is very nearby. So I went there, and I 
actually ate a croquette there. And now I I I got informed that I was I was um, misled by by the fucking Blydorp uh, zoo because um, <laughs> it turns out that uh, they decided three years ago to uh, rename. Uh, their croquette. Usually, if you order a croquette uh, and you say, "I want a regular croquette," you get the one with the meat. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the Blydorp Bly- Zoo decided to turn that around, and they uh, decided to uh, call the vegan croquette mm. um, or a vegetarian croquette the regular one. So um, I-, I accidentally ate a vegan one, and I, uh, wa- I demand my money back, or else <laughs> I will uh, hire a tractor and I will uh, 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 I will drive in 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 the in the monumental gate of the. Bly- and um, yeah, I will do everything in my power you, you, to get my money back. No, I really don't care. I no, didn't, didn't notice the difference, and that was their entire point, right? They said, yeah. We renamed it. Uh, people ordered it. They didn't. Uh, uh, they, they they didn't notice any difference. So yeah, what 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 does it matter? And it reminded me of this time that um, for uh, this this uh, popular board game, uh, the Colonist of Catan, um, they uh, renamed uh, uh, the, their board game as well. They just called it. Catan yeah. instead of the colonists and nobody noticed until someone did years later and then the ophef emerged and this is a similar case right as yeah. long as you don't announce it don't mention it then um, uh, people will not notice yeah you or, just do uh, it and after the event people are you, you, people are none the wiser and they're perfectly happy until someone tells them and it's the same thing as when um, Hamer basically decided to make all their um, you know, children's clothes gender neutral and they stopped yeah. uh, hanging up separate um, uh, areas of the shop for boys and girls clothes and nobody actually noticed this and then he year later i think that they that they said they'd done it and everyone was outraged and said that they yeah, were they were yeah, cancelling exactly. cancelling boys and girls and uh, yeah, yeah it's a similar thing yeah so um yeah let's yeah. Uh, move so on to yeah, the so, uh, so you're not you're not too ta- you're not too tainted by your vegan croquette experience then yeah not at all good not at all. excellent no. it's uh, the end of the year and uh, that doesn't uh, only mean that we have the top 2000 elections or that we have Sinterklaas handing out presents and abducting bad children to Spain. But, but it's also the time of year that everyone living in the Netherlands has the chance to switch healthcare insurance. You probably have already been bombarded by advertisement from CZ, Achmea and whatever else we have. Uh, but one ad in particular caught the OPEF eye this week. Uh, the new health insurer Selectivia said in its ad in the Volkskrant and on social media on Monday that in order to keep insurance rates low, it was only accepting healthy people. New insurers would have to prove their health status by filling in a form on the website before being offered an insurance. And this ad led to outrage on social media with people saying that this practice was unfair, immoral and even illegal uh, because healthcare insurance companies in the Netherlands are not allowed to decline anyone's uh, insurance. Um, And later that day, it turned out to be a fake advertisement from a fake health insurance company. The ad was actually part of a publicity stunt by the AIDS funds. Yeah, the AIDS (coughs) Foundation, I guess you call it. Yeah, Yeah, the the charity raises money for AIDS awareness and AIDS treatment, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they said in a statement that they wanted to draw attention to the fact that people with HIV are often excluded from proper care. Uh, the editor-in-chief of the Volkskrant, Peter Klok, criticized the stunt. Uh, he said that it is worrying that an advertiser spreads lies to attract attention, even though that's the point of headlines, isn't it? Just a point of advertising um, in general, I would have thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I think so too. Um, he was joined by the Dutch Healthcare Authority, which uh, had already put out a warning about Selectivia um, 
before it uh, turned out to be a fake, but it said after the revelation that they disapproved of the AIDS Fund's action. Um, and yeah, it also led to uh, other people pointing out that we have a health insurance company called Promovendus. Yeah. They aim at um, uh, uh, higher educated people people uh, not that not that it matters any in any way of shape or form but uh, they they uh, they say that uh, promovendum is basically also uh, selecting based on uh, on healthcare because uh, higher educated people are often healthier than uh, than uh, than uh, lower income people but uh, doesn't really reflect in the in the um, in the in the rates i checked so uh, yeah, yeah you do if you if you go to promo vendors and if you ironically you only fall for this if you're not very <laughs> if, if you're not very educated or you don't right? do research or not very good yeah, not if you're not very good at critical thinking you just believe what advertisers yeah. tell you yeah which which you think higher education would you know <laughs> it, it, the point is of higher education is to get that but um yeah it's um uh, i i also i once was um uh, a client of uh, national academic i w- was only there because it was the cheapest option yeah uh, but it's also directed at students but I mean that's what they advertise for, but it doesn't matter if you are if you are a a seventy five year old pensioner uh, living in your camper, then uh, you can also apply for that. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're uh, not you can, you can because everywhere. they can't by law they can't turn you down, and also they they basically no. all have to offer the same basic health package because that's again by law. Exactly. So yeah, there's no so. advantage to to, to to them by picking for, for for picking a particular demographic. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but this, yeah, yeah, nice, this, little, this, nice little path, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is, I mean, this is not the first time this has happened, is it? This, this is a bit of a tradition in um, of doing these kind of Dutch publicity stunts. Because about, I think, back in 2007, there was a whole TV show um, uh, about uh, selling a kidney. Oh. You know, so the, yeah. known, known as the, good, the big donor show, which caused enormous op at the time. Um uh, and uh, yeah, but, but basically the, the idea was that um, yeah, the, 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 a TV show was uh, put up uh, where um, they, they were going to offer uh, a kidney as an organ to, to the highest bidder, and it was only right at the last minute that it was revealed to be a great stunt to to, 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 to uh, expose uh, the lack of uh, available organs and try and yeah. improve organ donation, and that caused a similar, yeah, that, similar type of fuss uh, because uh, I think the idea was that voters could vote for who who was going to get the kidney. That's, that's right. What, yeah. That was the idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was this complete outrage, yeah. but yeah, it turned out to be a publicity stunt by the uh, near, yeah, the the kidney uh, fund foundation, I, I believe. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it is what you say. It's uh, we, we we've seen it more often, uh, and it uh, does get attention. But um, yeah, so hopefully it will uh, it will lead to some more action and uh, some more donations. Yeah. I, I really don't care about this at all, I have to say. No, I mean, but as long as they yeah. are clear afterwards yeah. about it. Then, I, yeah. I thought it was a pretty transparent stunt. As soon as I saw it, I thought, okay, hang on a second, this can't be genuine. And sure enough, it wasn't. This week saw yet another round of farmers' protests, as well as riots by supporters of a winning team. The Tweede Kamer wants to ban international students from enrolling in Dutch universities, while Amsterdam wants to ban international tourists from enrolling in stag parties. The Dutch security services came with the shocking news that both China and Russia might be involved in espionage. Stay tuned. (laughs) The location of the two new nuclear power plants were leaked, as well as the personal information of all Forum for Democracy members. Oh, and uh, something with football. Yeah. And pins and buttons and ribbons and bands and stuff like that. Lots of stuff around the football that was just frankly a lot more interesting than the football. So, but we will talk about the football <laughs> as well. We will. I will. 
very briefly. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. <clears throat> but yeah, there's been a lot of kind of small uh, stories, politics stories, sort of incidents, uh, outbreaks of uh, very mild violence. Uh, we didn't really have a top story this, uh, this week, so we just sort of rounded up a load of political and um, uh, emergency services stories. Yeah, so we've just rounded up a load of political and um, uh, 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 law and order related stories and kind of bundled them together. Um, topping yeah, with, and the other items as well. It's basically a, a complete mess. It's this an episode, absolute potpourri. But, uh, this, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's like a trader cam of voting paper. Effectively, this uh, the schedule for this week's podcast. <laughs> We're starting with uh, the first farmers' protest, uh, really, for several months, uh, where three people were arrested at the Provincial Assembly House at Overijssel in Svolle. Uh, dozens of farmers hmm. demonstrated outside the building against conditional fines that are imposed on farmers who don't have the necessary environmental permits, uh, known as a dwangsom under Dutch law. Basically, a court can order you to impose a kind of amount of money you have to pay if you don't comply with the court order. Uh, the demonstrators blocked a road and rammed a police car. Police had to use a plough to remove a tractor, and events took an ugly turn when the provincial government declined to come out and talk to the farmers. Police said they were confronted with excessive protests at the expense of public safety, while the mayor of Svola, Peter Snyder, said it was completely unclear to him who was in charge and what the demonstrators wanted. <laughs> yeah, and um, so uh, why is the provincial government exactly imposing these duangsons, these fines? Yeah, this is really complicated because not least because the, the provincial government actually um, have been trying very hard not to impose these fines, but they've basically been told mm. by the courts that they have to, and then they've had to go back to the farmers <laughs> and say sorry, but uh, you know we have no cho- no no, op- no choice but to uh, yeah, remember the, that time we promised not to impose any fines. Yeah, uh, yeah. and they've been, <laughs> they've been to negotiating with a great length, saying we, we're not going to. We're not going to impose any fines, uh, and then basically they've been taken to court by mobilisation for the environment, the environmental protesters, uh-huh. and well, they have to. But they've also been in touch with the government, say, look, please sort this out because you know this is actually going to ruin the farmers. Um, because the fines are pretty steep. There's 26 farms in Overijssel who are facing having to pay 117,000 euros per quarter if they continue to break oh, wow. the law, and several of them say that they'll have to shut down if they have to pay these amounts. Um, and the problem is there isn't, there's no regulation for them. This all arises from see the whole nitrogen ruling that came from the council of state in 2019 uh, as a result of which now the government is having to cut back nitrogen pollution emissions and the only way they can do that is to reduce the agricultural farming sector a lot or get existing farmers to just produce less uh, um, uh, um, uh, nitrogen and uh, ammonia and nitrogen oxide through more efficient measures. Um, but in the meantime, what happened before then was that uh, a number of farms, including these 26 farms, uh, under the old permit system, uh, they, they weren't uh, obliged to limit their nitrogen emissions. They just had to declare how much nitrogen they produced because they were mm. all quite small-scale producers. Um, and they did, uh, and that way they could get around having to actually apply formally for, a, for an environmental permit. But when the Council of State ruled that that uh, basically outruled that whole permit regime, these farmers then basically didn't have a license, so they were operating illegally. And they were left in complete limbo because uh, the government doesn't actually now have a licensing system. It's still trying to negotiate a new one. Of course, that's all been held up by the farmers' protests, among other things. And these farmers are basically left with... They don't have a permit. They can't apply for a new permit because there's no system in place. And so they're operating (laughs) illegally. And then mobilization for the environment takes the provincial government to court because the provincial 
provincial government is supposed to impose fines for breaching the permit rules. The provincial government says we don't want to because you know, that's unfair and it's going to be very you know, yeah. onerous for the farmers. So they, they're in contact with the farmers to try and sort it, to, to try and come with some kind of accommodation. They're also lobbying upwards to the government in the Hague to say, look, please come out with some kind of interim regulation so these farmers can can, can carry on working under duress of fines. But of course, the environmental activists they want to you know. Um, They've been very successful in going to court and taking action against the government to force them to actually um, uh, um, uh, cut nitrogen emissions by all means possible. And they've also taken individual cases against all these farmers, and they've won them all, and against the provincial government, who now have to impose the fines against their will. So it's a complete mess, effectively. <laughs> and the, in short, it's a mess. In short, yeah. it's a mess. And the upshot is, I mean, I do kind of feel for the farmers, although, you know, the tactics they use and the fact they went to the provincial house and uh, and and, uh, and blocked the roads again is all getting quite tiresome. They shouldn't do it. Um, nevertheless, you know, they are in a real bind and it's not really their fault yeah. because the, there is no regulation for them. Uh, there is a court order against them and the provincial government has got its hand tied behind its back. It, it, there's no funds available for the, for the province to bail them out but the national government also uh, because it's kind of dragged, dragged its feet or been under pressure from the farmers to, um, to, to delay and renegotiate its whole sort of um, uh, strategy for um, reducing the agriculture sector um, hasn't got a solution for them either um, so now the province has written to Nitrogen Minister Christiana van der Waal again asking her to come up with a solution <laughs> and it says it's got no capacity to support the farmers partly of course because of European state aid rules and so without the help from central government the farmers are going to go out of business yeah so a complete mess uh, absolutely uh, yeah, yeah, absolute yeah, car crash yeah, effectively yeah. Yeah. it really is yeah yeah so so the police was very busy in Zwolle uh, this week but also in their largest cities in the west right yeah, yeah. Um, this all to do with the World Cup. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the football later on. Uh, not many disturbances during the Dutch team's game so far. That's mainly because the fans have fallen asleep during the matches uh, by the time <laughs> the final was low because they've been just so dull and tedious. But there were disturbances in several cities after Morocco beat Belgium on Sunday. And people in Moroccan communities went out into the streets to celebrate the country's first win at the World Cup final since 1998. I think the key detail has been missed. <laughs> the fact that Morocco just haven't won a match for 24 years. Do, do you know who they beat <laughs> last time around at the World Cup? Oh, last time around? Yeah. Uh, I would say Belgium. No. It was actually Scotland. Scotland? Yeah, the, the ah, of course. Yeah, I should have known that. The last win in the World yeah. Cup was against Scotland in 1998. Scotland haven't been to the World Cup <laughs> at all since then. That was, our, that was our last match ever in the World Cup finals. Um, ah, but in a few places, the celebrations got out of hand. Uh, riot police were drafted in to clear around 500 youngsters from the Kraisplein in Rotterdam after they started throwing glasses and fireworks. And there were also disturbances in The Hague and Amsterdam uh, and uh, some more celebrations that uh, didn't seem to erupt in violence in places like Utrecht and Amersfoort. Two people were arrested in Rotterdam. Everything had quietened down though by about 7 o'clock in the evening. So yeah, that, that's the Dutch definition of a riot. Everyone's gone home by uh, just after supper time. And on Thursday again, there were celebrations as Morocco beat Canada to seal qualification for the round of 16. And again, police dogs were deployed on Amsterdam's Mercata plane and fireworks were thrown. Mm. Uh, but this time, Moroccan community leaders were on hand to help the police and everything had quietened down again by about 8 o'clock. And around 20 people were arrested across three big cities, mostly for just possession of illegal fireworks. 
Justice Minister Dina Nielsilgas went on Twitter to denounce the violence as shameful, and I think this morning she was up again saying that the, the people responsible should be hauled from their beds at dawn uh, for throwing a <laughs> firework, which seems a bit extreme, but you know. Um, and uh, yeah, among other things, it led a lot of people to ask where she was um, at the end of May when Feyenoord lost the UEFA Conference League final to AS Roma, and 72 people were arrested. So it, hmm. it just, on the face of it, a much bigger problem riot. But without that sort of crucial element of um, not involving people from the Moroccan community, so she didn't seem to be so bothered by that. Um, or on all hmm. the other occasions last season when Feyenoord were fined by UEFA for rioting. Um, yeah, I was I was uh, watching. Uh, uh, I was uh, looking on social media, and uh, when Morocco won, I think the first riot started in Brussels, and everyone was laughing at Brussels. Yeah. Oh, Brussels is on fire! Look at look at these uh, these Belgians because they 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 won from Belgium, I believe. Right? They beat Belgium. They? Yes. Yeah. 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 And then they sparked to to the Netherlands, and everyone was uh, sort of quiet. But um, yeah, uh, the laughing stopped all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. 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 Everything I do not understand a lot about football. I do not understand that if you if a team loses that someone uh, has the urge to 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 um, yeah, loot stores or set uh, cars on fire. Uh, but I really don't understand that if you have that urge when the team you support actually won. Yeah. Um, but that's a different story, I think. Yeah, um, I think it's just because there was, there was a more general mood of celebration because it was the first win for 24 years and one or two people out of the thousands that went onto the streets went over the top. And it does happen, actually. When it I takes went, more people than one or two to top over a car that is and true. set it on that fire. That is true. But for example, <laughs> when Ajax won the, uh, win the league title, especially if Feyenoord win the league title, there's always kind of things kick off. Um, yeah. Yeah, afterwards, and you do get some, you do get vandalism, you do get damage. You know, it's wrong. We, we have, uh, I do con- condemn it utterly. Setting cars on fire is not clever. You shouldn't do it. But I think, I think riots is a bit of a strong word for uh, a handful uh, of disturbances yeah. that uh, yeah. that that were yeah. well, all, all over by eight o'clock in the evening, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, um, moving on, there was this, this wasn't the only sporting op-ed uh, this week, wasn't it? No, because uh, while the Dutch football team has been about as inspiring as a drive across the Afslout Dyke on a foggy day, <laughs> Sports Minister Connie Helder has livened things up with a double dose of op-ed. Um Yes. Yeah. First, she ducked out of a debate in Parliament on the sports budget because she had to catch a flight to Qatar. Um, this debate, which is about things like um, whether sports canteens can get extra money for their heating bills, um, and a spoiler, they're not going to get any because the government's kind of run out of money for that kind of thing now. Um, but anyway, uh, th- this debate was supposed to finish at 11 o'clock in the evening, but it overran, so the minister made her excuses, uh, which was very annoying to the MPs present because, of course, a year ago they all voted explicitly not to send a government delegation to the World Cup because of Qatar's appalling human rights record. And now he was a minister actually leaving Parliament early to go to the World Cup against the Mm. will of Parliament. So they didn't like that at all. Um, And then when she got there, uh, she opted not to wear a rainbow armband, um, the One Love armband, uh, which, uh, unlike her Belgian and German uh, government ministerial counterparts, instead she wore a pin. Because she said that was a more chic <laughs> and diplomatic and, uh, you know... Not dispelled. And subtle response, yeah. Um, and yeah. it was very, very yeah. subtle because actually she didn't just wear the pin, but she wore it underneath an orange scarf, um, which uh, yeah. had the words, never mind, written on it. 
<laughs> yeah, it was absolutely covered with never mind if you looked closely uh, yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah it's, 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 six and a half thousand dead um, construction workers. Never mind. That was basically the message yeah, from the yeah, yeah. Dutch sports minister. Uh, she said she said afterwards that she didn't uh, pay any attention to what uh, uh, what the scarf said or the words on the scarf, but uh, she only chose it because it was orange. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, it, to be fair, it was orange. But yeah, if um, you you should uh, take a little bit more care if you um, uh, if you uh, go to such a prominent place, uh, especially if it's such a sensitive sensitive visit. Uh, and yeah, um, yeah um, if you are going against the will of uh, of, of Parliament, it's uh, it was uh, it was kind of shameful indeed yeah it was yeah really um, but at least he talked to 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 uh to several uh, qatari ministers uh, uh responsible for uh for uh for the workers conditions and for uh for uh, uh human rights there um I, I think that was more useful than than her um presence in the stadium uh, th- she didn't tur- uh, it didn't seem to be uh the most uh gezellige uh conversation she ever had with no. uh uh, with this uh, Qatari minister, I'm not the transportation minister. I believe she was uh, sitting with. Um, didn't didn't look really gezellig at all. No, no, I, I shouldn't think it was. But uh, yeah, it, it all just looked very uncomfortable and awkward. And uh, perhaps the best thing is if the Dutch team now lose the next match and uh, come home before there's any danger of the king going out to to watch the team. So, yes, so. and then we have uh, time for five more sentences on three topics yeah. listed beneath uh, <laughs> this. So, uh, yeah, there's a whole sort of a, a handful of uh, small sports stories. Uh, another football story where the uh, the CEO in the Fefe Day uh, calling for more measures to crack down anti-Semitism at Dutch football matches. It's a long-standing problem. The CEO in Fefe Day have raised this issue several times over the last few years. Um, uh, specifically, anti-Semitism in the in the wider context, obviously, of uh, anti-racism um, and their. Uh, and obviously the particular issues, among other things, with uh, Ajax having this sort of bizarre sort of um, uh, grafted on Jewish identity, which then encourages anti-Semitic abuse from fans of other clubs. And uh, even the Jewish communities are now telling Ajax, please just stop doing this because you're not really Jewish. And uh, when, when you pretend to be, it just uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it just actually kind of sparks yeah. anti-Semitism. And they should, they should take more uh, active measures against um, yeah, to, to change the mentality among uh, football supporters uh, and possibly use smart technology to identify offenders whatever that oh, might mean okay so i guess that yeah, means lots yeah. of facial recognition cameras and some some kind of uh, uh yeah. yeah luckily luckily all the stadiums already have uh, uh security cameras from china so yeah, yeah. that 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 software already. is already installed on it so yeah they just have to uh, ask the chinese uh, uh, very nicely if they can use their <laughs> uh, their their uh, facial recognition software as well yeah nothing sinister about that at all yeah and then another politics story that pfd and hun links uh, have uh, confirmed the worst kept secret in politics which is that they're going to form uh, a single faction in the Senate after the provincial elections next uh, next March or the provincial elections and then the, the Senate elections which uh, uh, which arise from that we won't get into the complications yes, but they will run they will run with two separate lists yes. and two separate uh, uh, party manifestos yep. which doesn't make any sense because no. they, on one hand they are saying we are going to uh, practically merge but on the other hand we're going to everything we can in our power to water that down as much as possible yeah. so it is a a, a complete bolder result again yeah. uh, you know it's a, um, and yeah it's a complete kind of cake and eat it uh, um, solution yeah. isn't it it's a kind of living, living apart together relationship they're having now 
where yeah. we're, yeah. we're, we're, they're <laughs> going to campaign separately. And uh, I don't know quite how that's going to work. You know, if if they're both on the same, you know, on, on the on the same podium during a debate, uh, it's, it's, it's going yeah. to be quite bizarre. Yeah. But effectively, you know, we've been we, we talking about this for a long time, saying you know uh, the old thing that pay for ADR is who links for boomers and who links is pay for ADR for millennials. And effectively, their their the manifestos basically converge. They have a joint fifteen point plan. Uh, in opposition yeah. to the current cabinet, um, but they still don't want to actually fuse. But this is the latest step towards sort of looking like one party, even though they're not. Yeah. yeah. And one final story, not really related to politics, but in the, 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 a thing that we should mention because it's about the MH17 trial, which obviously we've followed mm. for all the years since MH17 was shot down um, in 2014. And uh, the public prosecution service has said it won't appeal in the case of Oleg Pulatov, who was the only one mm. of the four defendants to be acquitted at the MH17 trial. Uh, they, they could have appealed. They were given two weeks to decide whether or not to appeal. They decided they didn't want to because they felt that uh, the court basically accepted uh, the the narrative, the uh, the view uh, the, of, the, of, of the prosecution service um, in respect of the, the trial in general, and that they feel the truth of what happened has, has come out in court uh, sufficiently to, yeah. um, you know, to satisfy the families, and that uh, another um, an, an appeals process would uh, would simply put an extra burden on them that they don't yeah. need. Dragged um, it up again. Dragged it yeah. all up yeah. again. Yeah. 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 So basically, and, and the, yeah, the, the only thing the court didn't agree with was that the the, the, the prosecution service argued these four men should be seen as a collective should be tried and convicted as a collective group and the court decided to convict them uh, individually and on that basis they decided Pulatov was not involved uh, th- th- there was no proof that Pulatov was directly involved in transporting or firing the um uh, the book missile that shot down MH17, so he was acquitted. But uh, none of the three who defendants have appealed either, because of course Russia never re- <laughs> ne- never uh, n- n- never recognised the court at all, and continues to insist yeah. all kinds of bizarre conspiracy theories about what what happened. So that's yes. it. effectively that's the end of the MH17 trial. Then, so important hmm. to note. MPs have voted in favor of a motion on Tuesday calling on the government to stop universities and HBO colleges, which are called Gordon. So they're like vocational colleges, basically. Yeah. Rather Thank you very much. From you just said it, but yeah. I, I, you just said it, but I forgot it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the motion calls on uh, on them to stop uh, actively recruiting students abroad. Um, the MPs say that uh, the surge in student numbers fueled by a rise in international students is uh, increasing pressure on student housing capacity and also leading to an overfull uh, lecture theatres. MPs hope that a ban on advertising and attending recruitment fairs abroad will depress the flow. And this year, some 40% of the 42,000 first-year students come from abroad, although most of them are from the European Union. Education Minister Robert Dijkgraaf has pledged to publish his plans early next year, but MPs say that this will be too late to stop universities attending fairs and placing adverts to attract new students in the coming academic year. The measures will include uh, the possible introduction of fixed numbers for non-Dutch courses. Dijkgraaf said the availability of higher education for Dutch students is and will remain an important principle. He said some 85,500 thousand international students are currently studying at one of the Netherlands 14 universities and 72% of them come from Europe. According to figures published by the Dutch University Associations last month, the total is an increase of 7.2% on the previous academic year, but this is well down on growth in previous years, which has ranged from 12% to 15% in the pre-pandemic years. 
Uh, this year, a number of universities called on international students not to take up their place in the Netherlands if they had not found a place to live before arriving. Yeah, yeah, that's a real problem, right? Uh, the student housing has been a problem since I com can remember. Uh, but yeah, it has increasingly become more difficult for students to find uh, places to stay uh, uh, or, or places, affordable places to stay, to stay because as a result of this lack of housing the prices are of course rising immensely yeah. Um, so yeah it's a real problem and yeah the what you've seen is that uh, uh, students especially from abroad uh, when it's very difficult to find a place to stay they just come uh, they stay in hotels or they try to stay with friends uh, while they are searching for a permanent place to stay and that uh, yeah uh, it's just an enormous problem because there aren't any available so they basically end up staying in hotels or student hotels for uh, the entire study. And uh, yeah, that's just enormous cost for them because uh, those things aren't cheap, of course. No, and it leaves students very vulnerable as well. So the international students who arrive in yeah. the Netherlands and they don't have anywhere to stay, nowhere to live. And you hear of all kinds of uh, uh, quite alarming, horrific uh, the solutions that they find to, 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 to just find a bed for the night. And um, yeah, it's a real problem to be fixed. And it's all down to the just as a general... You know, very rapid growth that we've seen of universities driven by the, um, uh, the recruitment of international students but of course that's how universities earn their money so if Robert yeah. Dijkraft wants universities to have fewer international students there's two things you've got to address I me mean, first of all is how do universities replace the income they get from international students paying international student fees which especially for non-EU students are much much higher uh, than domestic students pay and yeah. also of course it'll impact on the quality of Dutch education I mean the reason that the international students come to Dutch universities universities is because they're good but implicitly if um, if you have fewer people coming from around the world to study at universities the reputation and the general quality of the university will invariably go down so yeah. how do you protect how do you prevent that happening Yes, and uh, yeah, this is not the only thing uh, students are suffering from because local health boards uh, are starting a campaign to combat scabies mm. as the number of cases has exploded in the last two years, particularly among students. That's probably because they are living so close together. Yeah, uh, because or, or, of this yeah, or just living in dilapidated housing because it's the only thing available <laughs> yeah. for them. Yes, uh, the uh, highly contagious condition uh, characterized by a rash and severe itching and all of a sudden I feel... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, as soon as you talk about this, you, you start you start itching, yeah. don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's uh, of course caused by mites burrowing under the skin to lay their eggs. Yeah. Um, this year, family doctors diagnosed some twenty nine hundred cases of scabies a week. Uh, that's more than double the number in 2020. Young people in particular get scabies and students appear to be particularly prone to outbreaks. There is no single cause for the increase, experts have said, uh, but young people have been seeing more of each other following the pandemic, of course, but it may also be that they are quicker to recognize the condition and seek treatment. Mm. Um, another reason to stop uh, welcoming uh, students, yeah. I think. Or at least uh, <laughs> decontaminate them uh, before they... Yeah. Uh, regularly yeah. <laughs> yeah. send them for two weeks to pampas or to or to another uninhabited water island yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah no, hopefully that will help um, reducing the number of scabies uh, yeah. cases here yeah. the netherlands security services this week brought us a stunning news that uh, russia and china are apparently spying on us <gasps> who knew gasp it's always the quiet ones isn't it uh, 
Yeah, the least expect. Yeah. In the least you expect, yeah. <laughs> the war in Ukraine has increased the risk of disruptive events like the sabotaging of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. Uh, obviously, that hit Denmark, not the Netherlands, but um, uh, lots of people can't tell the difference between two countries anyway. Uh, the Netherlands <laughs> is an attractive target because of its underground physical energy network, its well-developed digital infrastructure, and the high level of expertise. Russia is also trying to use dependency on gas to sow social unrest and undermine the political stability of the Netherlands. And of course, several Dutch politicians have been accused of siding with Russia, such as Forum for Democracy leader Thierry Baudet, but also the former Senate leader, René van der Linden. A few weeks ago, NSA reported that van der Linden, who represented the CDA in the Senate until 2015, had held meetings in several European capitals with Russian politicians and was under surveillance from the IFAD. <laughs> but China is seen as the biggest threat because it uses both legal and illegal methods to acquire technology which could be used by the military or to gain a competitive advantage. So chipmaker ASML earlier this year accused a Chinese rival Dongfang of marketing products using stolen intellectual property and it said the technology was stolen by a Chinese engineer who was working for ASML in San Jose and then left in 2012 and set up two government-backed firms, one in Beijing and one in San Jose, within a month of each other. Hmm. So ASML sued the man along with another former Chinese colleague in the American courts. Uh, he was found guilty of intellectual property theft but he immediately filed for bankruptcy in the US and then fled to China where he's now CEO of these two companies that are now both based in Beijing. Curiously, okay. there is this phenomenon that you see in the tech sector where uh, a Chinese, uh, a couple of Chinese engineers will come and work for your European company, and then within after about six months they leave and mysteriously set up their own company just down the road that makes identical products to yours. Yeah. But despite that experience, the Dutch government has been resisting pressure from the United States to ban sales of semiconductor chips to China. And there was also some worrying about former NATO pilots that are recruited by China to uh, uh, go there and basically set up training courses for Chinese pilots as well and uh, yeah, the Dutch parliament has already tried to uh, to prevent uh, that from happening with uh, with Dutch pilots so uh, that's just another case where the Netherlands is trying to stop uh, similar espionage mm. uh, activities from China um, but there were also other threats that uh, the the security services picked out right? Yeah the military intelligence service uh, MIFAD said the GRU that's the Russian military intelligence had hacked routers belonging to Dutch private citizens <laughs> not to be confused with the main antagonist of Despicable Me. No, no, no. It's not that groove. No, this is, a, this is an even more Despicable yeah. groove. They've been hacking routers uh, belonging to Dutch private citizens, so, so you could be even uh-huh. the, the, the Wi-Fi box in your house, uh, or small companies to launch cyber attacks against the Netherlands and its allies. Uh-huh. The GIU also set up shell companies to get around sanctions and trade restrictions against Russia. Gosh, setting up shell companies in the Netherlands. It seems to be a problem that just keeps coming back, doesn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, the GRU, of course, were the guys who were famously caught red-handed trying to hack into the Organisation for the Prevention of Chemical Weapons in The Hague a few years ago using a Wi-Fi interceptor set up in the boot of a hire car. Yes, and uh, there's also been a data leak closer at home as well, right? Yeah, yeah. You never guess who it was either. Um, Forum for Democracy, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. Putin's bosom buddies in the Netherlands still seem to have a bit to learn about <laughs> cybersecurity. It seem because uh, RTL News reported this week that uh, Forum's entire membership list was leaked when its new app went live at the weekend. And that means the personal details of 92,000 people. That's not all current members, it's also former members, including their names, addresses, email addresses and bank accounts were all briefly visible. And it also showed how long they'd been members and how much they'd paid for the privilege, which is threw out some interesting mm. details because we saw that Thierry Baudet himself uh, paid 50 euros for his annual membership. 
that, that's below the level of bronze membership of 150 euros, <laughs> uh, which is what you need to actually get a signed copy of Thierry Baudet's own book. He's not even eligible to, to get in, t- in touch with prominent uh, FDA politicians, no. uh, it seems. Yeah. yeah. The list also included former FDA politicians like Joost Eerdmans and Wieberen van Haga, who since left to found rival parties. So presumably they're not among the 43,000 members who have paid their subs this year. Hmm. And of course, FDA now say they're going to carry out an investigation into the leak. They say they're the victims of a IT cyber hack. Yeah, they say it's a cyber hack, but they basically forgot to close the back door yeah. and someone just walked in. That's basically what happened, technically speaking, yeah. But yes, yeah, so FAD will carry out some research. So given the, the quality of their research in general, it means it will be an absolute um, <laughs> shit pile again. So we'll have some more op exactly. uh, presently. Yeah. yeah. We'll never leak your personal data at the Dutch News Podcast, but we will give you a shout-out if you want one as a personal thank you for joining our army of slightly fewer than 92,000 sponsors. In all seriousness, we do rely on your donations to keep making this podcast and help you make a bit more sense of Dutch news and politics, and we'll have a crack at answering your questions as ever, both personal and political. So thank you once again to all the kind people who support us on Patreon, but a special thank you to Kenneth Henderson, who's our newest patron and immediately got in touch with a question. We like that kind of proactive uh, dynamic attitude and wonder if he's eligible to play for the Dutch national football team. Kenneth asks, in the UK, the press and private broadcasters have some kind of alignment with a political party or political tendency, is there a similar situation in the Netherlands? Uh, I'd like to know what sort of political bias, if any, the Dutch papers and TV might have. And that's an interesting uh, question, I think. It used to be the case when Dutch society was verzeld, when uh, the groups of societies were sort of organized among uh, their own uh, newspapers, their own broadcasters, their own churches, basically, or if you're not a church, then uh, then you had something else. Then it was very clear what kind of political party Party belonged to your group or to your newspaper or to your broadcaster but th- I don't think that's anymore the case or at least it's not so clear anymore of course if you read for example the Telegraaf newspaper then you know they are more right-wing than others so you could say it's clear that they are more right-wing than than, than other newspapers but uh, you don't uh, sort of affiliate them with a particular political party of course there are more political parties on the right wing, so they tend to be closer to them. Uh, But I don't think the Telegraph is a newspaper for a political party as, and that's also the case for other newspapers. The Volkskrant is uh, typically regarded as, uh, as as more left-wing, but yeah, to say that they are a PvdA newspaper I don't think that's the case, but you see that newspapers are more left-wing or right-wing, but they don't belong to, to newspapers, I yeah. think. But maybe, Gordon, you have a different view. But I think Dutch papers in general are more kind of centrist and don't support an individual political party partly because there's too many. I mean, there's no point backing one yeah, party because right. no party gets more than you know even the fifth day only get about 20 percent of the vote at most elections so it's not really there's no sense in um, restricting your readership that much but certainly i mean nsa leans more to the left i think but it's not a pay for in-house but it tends to sort of you know um, be more i think read by um data zester and um pay for the uh, voters but again, I saw the false false count was kind of more sort of some, I don't know, not, not quite a sort of CDR uh, in-house uh, sheet certainly, but not necessarily a pay for the newspaper either. I think it was kind of dead down the centre. I think some of the British newspapers have I think become more partisan lately. Yeah, definitely. Partly because we're back to the rigid two-party system in the UK. You've got to pick one side 
or the other. I mean, the Sun was always a right-wing paper, but it also used to get Tory cabinet ministers sacked if there was a good sex scandal involving a Tory cabinet minister, and they <laughs> go after him um, again. And on the other flank, the Daily Mirror used to, although it's always been a Labour-leaning, Labour-supporting left-wing newspaper, it, it was one of the most critical newspapers of the Iraq War, which of course happened under a Labour government. But I think they become more partisan in that way. Uh, but Dutch newspapers, I think, maybe have, uh, as you say, gone the other way. That they, they no longer represent just one sector, one segment, one zowl of society. They tend to be broader. And because there are so many political parties, I don't you ever get a Dutch newspaper telling you which party to vote for at an election or recommending a party. But for example, the Telegraph yeah. went through a phase where they were quite closely aligned with Geert Wilders and the Pfeffe. I think definitely around, seem to remember around the 2017 election, they were quite strongly pro Pfeffe. And they seem to have uh, walked back from that a bit. And now they're just more broadly in favour of the right-wing populist parties, which again is because that's become more densely populated that sector of the political spectrum. You've got Yain and Twintuch and Pfeffe. And of course, Pfeffe Day are still, you know, pretty, pretty uh, centre-right leaning and sort of always uh, trying to steal votes back from the populist parties. So you can say that I think papers have a political alignment, but it's not as strong as in the UK and it's yeah. certainly not bound to one particular party. I remember Ein van Daag once had a survey on voters and what kind of media they were consuming that would also showed indeed that VVD voters read more Telegraaf than they read the Volkskrant and stuff like that yeah if you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News podcast go to www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Dutch News N-L the Zeeland village of Bosselen has been selected as the site for two new nuclear power plants, which are planned to become operational in 2035. The cabinet was officially set to make the decision today, but the news was leaked to RTL News on Tuesday. It doesn't come as a surprise that the cabinet thinks Bosselen is the best location, because the only current nuclear power plant already stands there, meaning that the required infrastructure is already present. The province of Zeeland has already said it was open to expanding the nuclear facilities in Bosselen after the coalition partnership agreed in their accords to allocate 5 billion euros to the construction of two new nuclear power plants. Uh, nuclear energy already enjoyed broad support in the Tweede Kamer, but this has only uh, grown following the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February. They recognized the need to become more energy independent from authoritative uh, countries mm. such as Russia. Yeah, and with wind and uh, sun alone, we will not be able to power every household here in this country. So yeah, nuclear energy is a, a logical step in that regard. The cabinet's aim is to have nuclear energy Energy account for 11 to 15 percent of the total energy supply. Yeah, but they've always said that uh, local support is absolutely crucial. So, uh, yeah, how's this gone down in Zeeland? Yeah, this was absolutely fantastic because <laughs> Omroep Zeeland, that's the local broadcaster, they went to Bosselen to sort of uh, ask people what they were thinking about the news. And I've never seen such indifference <laughs> <laughs> in people. There was uh, one lady, she's called uh, Astrid Kokkelkorn, which uh-huh. is <laughs> also a very a nice name. name. Yeah. Yeah, she lives in Bosle and she literally shrugged when uh, when they told her th- uh, about the news and she said that she had lived her entire life in the village and that the only people she has ever spoken to who are opposed to the nuclear uh, power plants come from outside the province. And she also said that if something goes wrong with the uh, nuclear power plants, Bosle is best located. Because people can just uh, run into the sea. Uh, no, they will be dead at uh, at, uh, <laughs> at once. So yeah, they, they will not notice anything about uh, no. uh, if something goes wrong. Uh, 
The cabinet itself isn't happy with the leaked news, though, as well as the Tweede Kamer. Uh, it was only last week that parliamentary chair Vera Bergkamp had sent a letter to Prime Minister Mark Rutte complaining about uh, how often cabinet plans uh, are getting leaked uh, to the press before parliament is properly informed. Uh, Rutte, in his response, has said that he had reinstated an old rule, saying that items on the Council of Ministers' agenda will be removed if they are leaked beforehand. And ironically, it has been leaked to RTL News that this will also happen to the nuclear power plant's uh, decision. Uh, and that also means that Rob Jetta has to cancel a celebratory press conference in Zeeland, which was planned for tonight, where he would announce officially uh, the location, the choice of mm. location. So yeah, no cake, no nuclear cake for Borsele uh, yeah. anytime soon. Yeah, it's, it's good job they haven't applied this rule too rigidly, because otherwise we would never get a budget, <laughs> would we? Because every single budget gets leaked before it's um, announced yeah, in Parliament, Exactly, right? yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, it happens very often that uh, plans are leaked before they are uh, officially discussed in, in the Council of Ministers, and that annoys a lot of Tweede Kamer. Yeah, yeah, that's how politics work, I guess. It's kind of inevitable, yeah. So it is inevitable, indeed. And also, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people sort of suspect that there is some, some sort of Machiavellian, House of Cards-esque uh, uh, plan behind all these leaks, but very often it's just um, uh, someone, you know, uh, just... Uh, uh, it's more peppy and cocky than than House of Cards, I think, very often. Yeah, it's and usually just somebody, somebody's got a good idea they want to promote. And yeah, so yeah. and a lot of people work on it and yeah, it just yeah. gets leaked. And also, uh, this particular news about these two new power plants, it was it was leaked uh, only minutes before the last uh, Orion match uh, started. Right. And a lot of people on social media said, oh, this taking out the trash, they, they are just trying to uh, you know avoid attention on this, uh, on this news. Uh, but yeah, it's just... ATL had the scoop and they just uh, they just released it. Yeah, that's just often how it works, I think. Yeah, yeah. And actually, during the Orlando match, people were crying out for any kind of distraction. <laughs> so it's probably a good time exactly. to leak it. Yeah. And speaking of energy, though, uh, some suppliers are lowering their prices for domestic customers. Yeah, energy firm Ineco is cutting uh, its rates for electricity and gas from January 1st, and it's going against the trend of the largest Dutch providers, Ascent and Vattenfall. Uh, well, Vattenfall is not a Dutch provider, right? Well, it provides energy to Dutch houses. Yeah, yeah, we should uh, call it like that. Ineco yeah. will charge 69 cents per unit of, of electricity, making it the cheapest of the four largest suppliers, and that's down from the current level of 84 cents. Gas prices will go down from €3.39 to €2.99 per cubic meter. Both rates are still far above the level of the energy cap price of 40 cents per unit of electricity and €1.45 per gas unit. Uh, but under the uh, current scheme, or the scheme comes in effect January 1st, I have to say, yeah. consumers will pay these guaranteed rates for the first 2,900 units of electricity and 1,200 units of gas they use in 2023, and the government will pay the difference. Eneco and Green Choice rates are currently much higher because they bought more gas and electricity than its competitors during August and September, when prices on the uh, TTF International Gas Futures Market shot up to nearly 350 euros per megawatt hour. It has since come down to around 120 euros. And I think a similar thing you see with um, gas stations. If you drive through the Netherlands, then you see uh, yeah. an enormous fluctuation between gas prices. Uh, at one one station, uh, it, it's, it's very cheap or relatively cheap, and the other, it's just uh, yeah, very expensive. But that 
it's also I think it has to do with when exactly they had bought their supply of, of petrol or diesel um, yeah exactly the price of the pumps always lags a couple of days behind the price of oil on the markets because it obviously they, they buy it in advance the interesting thing is that the the, the, the energy suppliers that had low rates uh, in the last quarter have put them up and the ones that had high rates have put them down and brought them down again but actually what you want is you want to be the provider that's uh, putting put those, putting its rates up because yeah. of the price cap coming in yeah, so actually yeah. if you're yeah. if you're with the provider that's now bringing its uh, its rates down uh, it means you've been paying much more for your gas than the, the, the your neighbors and uh, and, you, and you won't get compensated as generously as uh, as people who are on high rates next year but also on, on the subject of rising prices just uh, we should mention that the actual headline inflation rate has fallen quite sharply in november to 11.2 percent partly because these uh, energy prices have gone down it was of 16.8 percent in october it's now down to 11.2 percent and uh, yeah this CBS is trying to work on a new, more accurate calculation method because they say that really even that doesn't represent the actual effect of price rises on, on many households. Yeah. So to sports news, and the Dutch men's football team play their second round match against the United States on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, most people will listen to this podcast after the game is finished, and uh, the football in general has been as shapeless and unpalatable as a tub of frikadella fly. <laughs> but the Dutch are favourites to progress against the Americans, who only scored two goals in their group matches against Wales and Iran, although they almost had more balls in the net uh, when Christian Pulisic took a boot to the knackers in the course of scoring against Iran, which uh, looked extremely painful. And in fact, he left the field at half-time, and he was taken taken to hospital to check he was still in one piece um, but it turns out that uh, he has not compromised his ability to extend his family and uh, and he didn't need treatment and the midfielder insists he will be fit for Saturday. Mm-hmm. Cody Gakpo has scored three goals in Iran's matches but the most standout attacking performer has probably been Louis van Gaal in the post-match press conferences where he's been clashing with uh, journalists in his uh, customary fashion. Although there was one press conference where he was really sort of nice and generous towards the journalists and sort of said three times I think uh, I agree with your analysis and even oh, agreed wow. with uh, Valentin Driessen of the Telegraph who uh, uh-huh. you know, who he's uh, you know, been like in a kind of uh, yeah, petty squabble for about the last 30 years I think um, yeah. but actually kind yeah. of complimented him because Valentin Driessen said that Frankie de Jong who was sitting next to Van Gaal, uh, looked a bit sick. And uh, Frankie de Jong said, yeah, I've, I've had a bit of a cold this week. Uh-huh. And uh, Van Gaal said, oh, it was very, very good of you to notice that. <laughs> so his analytical uh, qualities were, were complimented by Van Gaal, but uh, he, he wasn't analysing anything football-related. So yeah, No, it's, no, it's nothing to do with the actual yeah, football, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, which yeah. is probably why it was safe. But after the Dutch beat Qatar 2-0 in a, absolutely another terrible match, uh, the coach tore into journalists who complained about the slow, ponderous style of play. He said, why? Why don't you write that you think it's terribly boring and you're going home because you couldn't care less, he told one reporter. And now uh, both Germany and uh, Spain are uh, sent home. So uh, No, Spain is still playing, but Belgium Oh, gone. Belgium, I'm sorry. Belgium, Belgium going yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, both neighboring countries have gone. So we'll be on an island in the World Cup now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And uh, yeah, the, the USA versus Orion match. Um, it turns out that the winner will win uh, win back uh, New York. So uh, yeah. Oh ah, yes, yeah, yeah that's so, important. Yeah, so hopefully we will win. Yeah. Um, so for Gaal, that was one elderly football coach looking lively. Is there any other one in particular that is uh, being revitalized or brought back from the dead? Yes, uh, we indeed have some uh, Dick Lawyer news this week. Aha, 
Good. Much missed, but uh, not for very long. Uh, nope. and Haag, who are 17th in the Koken Kampioen Divisie, they sacked their coach Dirk Kout last week. Uh, Dirk Kout, who was still playing after Dick Lawyer had, had finished uh, being manager of the Dutch national team. Uh, and on Monday, they confirmed the growing speculation that at the age of 75, Dick Advocaat has been wheeled out yet again for another last throw of the dice. <laughs> uh, nobody expected this, not even me, said Advocaat. I'm not sure that's quite accurate. I think everyone thought Dick Lawyer was going to show up again at some yeah, point uh, he said quote, uh, yeah he said I've, I've said a number of times i'd stop but then i changed my mind when they phoned i couldn't say no so the dick so, is back in business the dick is back the dick is back so, well, <laughs> yeah. all is well um so yes. anything other sports that uh, has some news that we should mention uh it's a bit of cycling news because uh, uh-huh. uh, annemiek van floten claimed probably her easiest win of the season uh, the 40 year old was awarded the filo d'or given by the French cycling press to the best male and female races of the year. Its first year has actually been a separate category for women, uh, hmm. and Van Floten was a runaway favourite because she'd won everything this year. Basically, she'd won the Tour de France, the Giro d'Italia, the Vuelta a España. She also won a world title in Wollongong in Australia, despite <laughs> breaking what? elbow. And one Wollongong... What's that? Uh, it's in Australia. It's where they had the World Cycle uh, Road Race Championships. She's one of the few cyclists to manage to dodge the magpies as well. The the ferocious Australian magpies that attacked uh, <laughs> oh, a yeah, number of cyclists, right. including Balka Mollema. I, uh, because I it was that. it was their nesting season, and yeah. so uh, all these bike uh, races enraged them because they thought that these cyclists were coming to attack their young, and but just only mm-hmm. proves the rule that all nature in Australia is is out to kill you, yeah. effectively. And the men's trophy went to the Belgian Remco Evenepoel, who, who was attacked by magpies in Wollongong. But well done for Andy from Floten, who's had a spectacular season at the age of forty. So hope for all us oldies there. That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News. It can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. Uh, you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Uh, you can earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast and ask us a question. My thanks to Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. Thank you.